You're listening to Life, the Universe, and Everything Else. Today on the show, we're doing part two of, what are we calling this, Bad Evangelicals? <laughs> My segment is called Evangelical Hells, so let's use that. This is part two of Evangelical Hell. Life, the universe, and everything else explores the intersection of science and society. Original music is produced by Ian James, and this episode was edited by Marissa McCool. Find her on Patreon at patreon.com QAF. My name is Jem Newman, and with me today, I have Laura Creek Newman. Hi there. Lauren Bailey. Hello. And Ashlyn Noble. Hello. Hello, everyone. So as keen-eared listeners might be aware, we missed last month. We didn't have an episode in August. It kept getting bumped for a variety of reasons. We're sorry about that, but we are back now. And we're going to finish off our discussion of some of the worst evangelicals in all of recent history. Mm. Well, I'd say the most well-known. Sure. I think that's probably accurate. <laughs> yeah. Because there's some several smaller ones that are leading the charge. And nobody ever did... What's his name? Oh, God. Never I don't know for sure, but I don't think we're covering any sex pests on this episode. So... At, at the very least, we're covering more of the recent interesting worst evangelicals. Not necessarily the most horrifying. So we're going to start off with Ashlyn. Who have you got for us, Ashlyn? My evangelical is not so much a person... It's not even exactly an organization, but it is called... Is it the Holy Ghost? <laughs> <laughs> it's an interesting comparison. It does have a great name. YWAM! What? Uh, YWAM is also called Youth with a Mission. So it's just the... What is the correct term here, nerds? Acronym? Is that? Am I going to get yelled at if I call it an acronym? No, that's an acronym. That's an acronym. <laughs> the ones you pronounce, initialisms, are the ones you spell. Like FBI? Okay. YWAM is a cult, question mark? A <laughs> evangelical organization? It is certainly a tool of Jesus, according to YWAM. There are over 1,200 YWAM locations, but there is no... YWAM center office. That's one of the first major problems with Youth with a Mission. There are no board of directors. There is no central record keeping. I can only even tell you that there are 1,200 plus of these because other people have made lists of them, not because YWAM itself has a list of all of the YWAM branches. A great quote from directly from their website where I 
started my research, I decided, much like my Noom research last time, that I wanted to start by just like Googling the topic and finding out what I would see if I was trying to find out this thing from like a neutral perspective. As neutral as I can get with like an incognito browser or whatever. FAQ on YWAM's US website. Can you help me locate a person who is currently in youth with a mission or was at some time? Answer. YWAM does not have an international administrative office that maintains a database of every YWAM staff person and all YWAM alumni. If you want to connect with a person in YWAM, please contact the location they work with directly or their last known location. Another avenue is to try social networking like the YWAM Facebook page. If you'd like to make a call, please hang up and try again. So the official position of YWAM, if a parent wants to contact their child, is try Facebook. Another important point is that most of the people involved in YWAM are young adults. They target people at high schools and churches, obviously, and colleges, and try to recruit young, hopeful people into doing their program. The first step in YWAM is to do what's called a DTS. There are so many different little acronyms and initialisms. And they all are very important to these people. Yes. It's again, these are all very culty practices. Okay. I'm I'm sorry. Given what DTF stands for, you're going to need (laughs) to tell me what DTS stands for. I assume the S is not suck. It certainly does suck. (laughs) No, it is school. Disciple training. Oh, it's just to say, yeah. Discipleship training school is the first. You're way off, Jem. (laughs) <laughs> I don't know. Cool. They haven't finished their segment yet. <laughs> Not yet. So these 18-year-olds, most of them, are recruited to do a discipleship training school where they will be given three months of lectures, which is... I saw one Reddit comment from someone who was still very pro the organization, basically saying, you have 10 weeks to relearn everything you thought you knew about Christianity, and then you get sent out into the world. Of course, it's an emotional experience. (laughs) Wow. So, yeah, they break everything down to you and teach you their version of evangelical Christianity. And then the sort of draw of this program is that then you get to go and put your learning into the world, and they will send you somewhere to do some good in the world. And wow, there are some pictures on this website with very young white people and very unimpressed looking people of color all over the world. (laughs) Uh, Well, just from the website, you know exactly what kind of organization you're getting yourself into if you know what sort of red flags to look for. Okay. Again, there are all over the world these places and including here in Manitoba, kind of. Okay. Uh, Manitoba comes up surprisingly often in this research for where I wasn't looking for local connections. So when when you are accepted into one of these programs, it's very important to understand that you will have to pay tuition to attend, and you're going to need your church and your community to support you. So they they teach you how to fundraise. They teach you how to get money off of your various communities in order to give it to them to do good work. Fascinating information about this program. Again, you're going to say like the Sea Org. Once you complete your first three to six month DTS, 
you are encouraged if you want to keep going with the organization to then go to the staff training school and there you will learn how to be YWAM staff. Now you might think, oh, well, get paid to do the stuff that you just learned to do. No, if you want to be staff for this organization, you're going to have to continue to pay them to live there. Like the Sea Org. Like the Sea Org. Uh, <laughs> this group really saw other groups and was like, huh, those guys are on to something. Right, right. The organization has no paid staff in most centers. Everybody who is there is paying for the opportunity to be there. Right, because their work is so noble that you couldn't possibly even expect a paycheck, right? And Exactly. Oh, God. And okay. all of the money that they bring in has to go directly to helping people. Helping sure people understand that they time. need God in their lives. Yeah. <laughs> well, what we need, Susan, is we need money to build an interstellar cruiser. One of the sort of shticks of this organization is that no matter what you are good at or interested in or think that you need to change your life, there's a program for you. I went oh. on the website and pretended to be an interested 18-year-old, and there are arts programs, there are language programs, there are, you want to spread the word of Jesus through dance? We have a program for you. You want to be a street medic? That There's a program for you. Like, that one seems somewhat useful, at least. Yeah. But there, again, 1,200-plus organizations have a program that has something to interest every weird teenager out there who has a hankering for travel and community and to make a difference in the world and is also somewhat okay religious. Because they, they will for sure suck you in and make you want to do the good works of Jesus, etc. That's the idea. But they don't seem to be super concerned about whether you are particularly religious to start with, as long as you can come up with the money from your church slash community to to get into this organization. Right. So there's there's the down to suck. <laughs> One of the scariest parts for me about reading people's accounts of YWAM was the fact that the leaders of this program demand total obedience. And as I mentioned, these leaders are just other teenagers who have graduated from this same program. Oh, uh, that's whoa. that's dangerous. Oh yeah, absolutely. Like six months older than some of the other than some of the people that they are are leading, and yeah. clearly, or not clearly, but high likelihood of transferring their frustration or worries and pressures onto the next generation. Mm -hmm. One account had a person being required to meet one on one every week with a nineteen-year-old who had gone through a three-month counselor training program through YWAM and was telling her to essentially distance yourself from all of your friends back home because they are not a good influence. Things like okay. that. That's dangerous. Absolutely. Other features of living under total obedience. If you questioned one of your leader's decisions, even if you knew it to be wrong, the official teaching was that God would bless you for your obedience to your leaders, even if you knew them to be wrong. So that if you 
were doing the wrong thing, but your leader told you to do it, that was okay because God would understand that you were being obedient and that was more correct than doing the right thing. That is so, like, it's not surprising based on a lot of evangelical teachings, but it's just so bad. Yeah. Did they never read the Nuremberg? (laughs) (laughs) There's also very controlling about relationships. So, of course, you have hundreds of teenagers with hormones hanging out together for their entire life for these three months. That creates these bonds really quickly, of course. Mm -hmm. But what happens if you start to develop feelings for someone else in the program? Oh, no. Quote. If and when two people developed a friendship and sensed the relationship was growing deeper, they had to meet with their leaders. If those leaders felt the relationship was okay, the friends gained their approval. In that case, the now official friendship was announced to the group as a, quote, special relationship. Oh my god. (laughs) However, of course... Is this still, like, a friendship, or is this... are they being coy? Well, I feel like they're allowed to maybe have feelings for each other at that point, but probably that's all. (laughs) that's that's the end of it (laughs) yeah yeah see a lot of side Um, hugs in your future kids because of course if you want to do missionary work falling in love is quote the enemy's way of distracting you from that mission what (laughs) oh i'm sure they're doing missionary something So there were talk of, for example, if the leaders at whatever base you were at didn't approve of your relationship, they would make sure that one person's outreach stuff was in like, oh, we feel like you're being called to France and we feel like you are being called to Australia. Uganda. Uganda? Cool. Where is that? Yeah, like the Sea Org. (laughs) (laughs) And again, any questioning of a leader in any capacity, whether it was like, oh, do you want to reconsider that decision? That was against the will of God for you to question your leaders, which just like, just think about how that grooms you to put up with all kinds of things. Oh, yeah. There's, of course, lots of suggestions and uh, stories and scandals about sexual abuse within the ministries. Of course, the pushback from uh, defenders of the organization is, oh, well, such and such chapter, of course, was, was doing bad things, but they're not all like that. My experience was amazing. And it, it's easy for individuals to have those stories and dismiss those stories when there isn't a centralized place to lay the smack down, but then there isn't anyone to lay the smack down. And there is going to continue to be these kinds of abuses if these are the things you're teaching. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There is no situation in which these things are taught, children are put in charge, and bad things don't happen. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. The, the, the entire culture that that creates is really dangerous. And it really, not only is it dangerous for the, those who are predatory, but it, kind of like we taught, or, or, or like we're alluding to, it makes it so that these people who are incredibly impressionable and forming their adult views of the world fail to develop things like a sense of autonomy, a sense, an internal compass, right? Like they, they lose that 
ability because they're always going to look externally. And I'm even thinking, too, like, they might not even develop that empathy if you're only ever told to do what someone else is telling you to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they never learn to think on their own feet. Yeah, for sure. Oh, God. Okay, tell us Mm -hmm. more, Ashlyn. (laughs) I thought that this was a good sort of summary of what someone experienced here. She said, we were there to make a difference to fight a global tragedy. Instead, the DTS is a school wherein the students are denied all privacy, pushed to their emotional breaking point, and made to fall in line and follow a rigid schedule that leaves no room for for questioning. They are, I think, funneled into this program in order to make money for most, mostly, because the tuitions on these programs are in the thousands of dollars. Again, nobody in this organization is ever paid a salary. And a lot of their training is just focused on like, here's how you can appeal to the people back home to send you more money to support your missionary services. And that's actually how I found this organization was someone in one of my Facebook groups had posted like a TikTok reel or I know those are two different things. Oh my God, I sound like an old person. <laughs> it's okay, Ashlyn. A short we video. all are. Isn't it just a TikTok? Sure, I don't know. Now? I mean, a noun now. <laughs> yeah, I call them TikToks on Facebook, and I know that's incorrect. <laughs> I, I don't know. I'm also old, Ashlyn. I am so old. I don't know. I, I saw a short video someone had posted talking about how this girl from her hometown, this is the only content she makes anymore is here's what I'm doing in my missionary work, please send me money. And that's the only relationship she has with anybody back home because probably they're telling her to cut ties with anybody who isn't fully supporting her in her going out and quote-unquote helping people missions. Right. So all of these bases are isolating people. Of course, there's horrific stories about lots of ex-gay thinking and people being told that they can change their sexuality if they just think hard enough. And these schedules that they put them on, they have to be up at like six o'clock in the morning every day in order to do this like very rigid schedule of keeping the place running because they have to do all the chores, of course, as well as learning things, as well as going out into the community, as well as begging, as well as and then they keep them out late doing evangelizing and then do it all over again, like just clear tactic to keep them from thinking. Right. They're exhausted. If you if you exhaust them, you wear them down and there is no resistance and they accept whatever you present to them. I have no idea what that's like. (laughs) This is also a Um, real good way to get sex trafficked. Right. Yeah. Oh, and definitely don't expect to get your child's body back if they die on one of these things. Oh, no. Horrifying things I read. If you happen to die while serving YWAM in the far-off lands, which isn't unheard of, don't count on anyone sending your body back home. YWAM's statement of burial says, The priority for limited resources on outreach and frontline work must be for living, and grants YWAM permission to carry out the burial in the location of my death because decay can start very quickly. Why does a youth group have a position on burial? Because sometimes you just die doing missionary work, okay? Like, like it is. it is better that... A group has a position than not because sometimes <laughs> 18, 19 year olds just drop dead of a like congenital heart defect or something like that. Like it, it is rare, but it happens, and you should have a policy 
However, their policy is basically, we can't be bothered to do anything else. The grave will be shallow. Like, that's yeah. kind of what they're saying. Yeah. We're going to bury them immediately. There will be no investigation. Yeah, yeah exactly. That's what that says. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because obviously, like, refrigeration does not exist. M- medical facilities will not exist anywhere. And even if they do, we're not going to take you there. Don't right. count on it. They're not going to even tell the local authorities that you died in their country. Mm. Honestly, that tracks, but go on. <laughs> this was also, there There seem to be a lot of financial crimes that are probably going on here. Uh, <laughs> well, so this is my question. No. Like, if all this money is coming in, obviously some of it does, in fact, have to pay for whatever living space they live in and travel and food, like those basic things. But it sounds like they're probably going to spend the absolute minimum they can get away with on all of those things. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like One story that I heard that was great was they had you living like four to ten people to a little dorm. And right. if you were out on missionary work, like in a different place, you still had to pay room and board on your place, uh, whatever bed you were living in. But also they could just put another person in that bed while you were gone and they would also have to pay room and board. I think that's fucking bullshit. <laughs> yeah. The sea org. Wow. So clearly this excess money is going somewhere. But the question is where? And I think I- probably into the hands of the people who, quote, don't get a salary and just sort of skim off whatever they need from the top of these travel funds etc like the staff some kind of higher up group that isn't named so there really isn't a higher up group one of the fascinating things about this is the old the way to become a new ywam chapter is to start one and then get at least one other ywam chapter to say yeah you seem legit oh my god okay that's right what what so all of these there is no central organization to send money to. They all ind- they all operate totally independently and it sort of seem to just scam money off of teenagers in the same direction. And like I'm sure that many of these people think that they're doing good work. I'm sure of that. Of course. Of course they do. And I, I don't necessarily have a problem with that sort of method of organization like self-organization that's the way a lot of like anarchist collectives operate Mm. it's not the way the iww operates but it's not that far off there there is a a central organizing body for the iww but yeah i i I think my problem is more what they what they're doing Mm -hmm. and the way that they are abusing these children yeah and young adults that are not cooked yet right i like yeah the way that one blogger put it, quote, in addition, because YWAM is not structured like a corporation, each of the independent ministries must handle its own accounting, human resources, and other functions, leading to widespread duplication of efforts and occasional financial crimes. <laughs> I'm thinking big financial crimes are not occasional. <laughs> yeah. You know, and they do send people on all kinds of missions to help in various ways, both missionary and they, there were a bunch of like medical ships off of Australia at one point. They got put on hold during COVID and might be back. I didn't get too deep into that rabbit hole. But like, there definitely is 
some money going into trying to help people, but there's also a lot of money going into like sending teenagers to Africa to dance people into thinking about Jesus. I have a question. Go for it. If there is no central governing governing body, and two YWAM groups send, you know, missionaries to the same area, do they have to fight to the death? <laughs> yes, that's very important to the process, so that we don't have any more duplication of of efforts. <laughs> Deficiency. So yeah. sorry, I I think I might have missed this, Ashlyn, or I'm forgetting. Mm-hmm. But who started it? Oh, that's a good question. I didn't really look into that as much. Uh, I definitely saw the guy's name, but I don't remember it. He doesn't seem super influential, but I could be wrong about that. It didn't come up a lot for me, though. Okay, so he wasn't, it wasn't some, like, well-known person in the evangelical community. or couple or something. Yeah, like, that's what I would expect, but just... Lauren and Darlene Cunningham. I definitely heard the name Lauren Cunningham can't come up quite a few times. So they do have, like, I would say the names of four or five of the large bases came up more than others. One in Perth, Australia. One in Kona, Hawaii. Those ones came up a lot. In particular because they had some spectacular scandals associated with them, but also (laughs) because they are quite large. Like, I think the one in Kona is the largest one. And apparently the locals are just sick to death of these children. I bet. (laughs) Yeah. What other points that I want to make here? It sounds like most people who get out of this eventually realize that they, they was pretty screwed up and that they're should, they should not have been put through these things as teenagers, such as the, the week where you're all supposed to confess your deepest, darkest sins to each Uh... other, even though you've only met a few weeks ago. and apparently people just confess to some wildly dark shit and then you just kind of have to live with that. That's great. Yep. That's Mm. definitely not damaging or traumatizing at all to your developing brain. No. And and we have no actual counselors or therapists to help moderate these things or people understand like, Hey, I just heard of a really bad crime. What do I do? Mm -hmm. Like. And I think that one of the, one of the big draws of this organization to young people is its immediacy. You are you're going to intensively learn for three months and then you're going to go out there and intensively do good for three months. And I think that there are so many like big hearted teenagers out there who just really want to make a difference. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's a quote from a man called Mark Lang. He dropped out of college in 1983 to join youth with a mission. Says, if I was going to become a Lutheran missionary, I would have had to go to four years of college and four years of seminary. Would you like to do that or go to school for three months and go out and do something? You go make that choice when you're 18. Yeah, right? Mm -hmm. So now you know more about YWAM. And if you hear any of the young people in your life talking about a cool missionary school, maybe you should ask them what it's called. So I feel, and they're always called YWAM. Are they? Yeah, like, they youth all with have... mission blank. Okay, like youth with. Oh, a, youth I, with a mission. I did promise I was going to talk about Winnipeg. So, yes, you said Manitoba. 
So weirdly, Winnipeg came up in two different articles about YWAM without me, like they were about, they were in an Australian paper and like a British paper. One of them says, had a guy named Robert, I think, Cherish or Cherak. He is the principal and CEO of Linden Christian School in Winnipeg. And he says one of the teachers there, her daughter went to YWAM and suffered spiritual abuse. And he was urging people, donors and parents sending their kids off to serve Jesus as YWAM need to understand the model is flawed and their kids are at risk. And another article had quoted someone who just said that she suffered unspecified spiritual abuse at a Winnipeg YWAM chapter. I just thought it was very interesting that it came up in two different places without without having <laughs> any specific connection. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And the the chapter here, from what I can tell, is like one couple in Steinbach and <laughs> yikes. Yeah. So when I was much younger, I knew someone who did. I really I can't. I, I don't know about this program necessarily, but it, it sounds a lot like this kind of thing. It had a different name. It was, these people were through Mennonite churches, and I think this was a Mennonite one, but this sounds a lot like that kind of thing. You go off for a good chunk of time, you go volunteer, you do stuff. I mean, like, classic story, right? But, like, it's, the discipleship is such a big part of it, and yeah... Mm. And it was for for this program that your friend was in? No, like this is, it was called something else. Uh, Was it Katimovic? Nope, nope, not Katimovic. It wasn't, it's not a government thing. It was totally religious. Oh, okay. I wasn't Uh, sure if your friend's one was religious. That's what I was asking. Yeah, yeah, it was. It was, sorry. So like it was, yeah. Anyway, so that's why I was wondering if it was always called YWAM. But it sounds like there are multiple types of these kinds of things. Now, different programs could take this, but add more oversight, say, or appropriate policies and principles and things like that. But it wouldn't be profitable. And also the the kids wouldn't be as brainwashed at the end. (laughs) Yeah, but non-broken people is good. Yeah, that's a... Too much of a minority opinion. Right? Oh boy, okay. I never managed to dig in deep enough to find any deeper Winnipeg scandal, but it's out there. It's out there, and it's closer to home because I don't, the kind of thing I don't expect to be around, but that's interesting that it can just be there, and it probably is. And I mean, to be fair, I don't run in religious circles, so I don't really know people who would be signing up for this anymore. Mm. So... No, I think you can just continue to be a more and more elderly and important staff member, probably. If you stay long enough, you get to put all the flights on your credit card and rack up all the, the points for that. Ooh, wow. <laughs> that was one thing that somebody thought was very sus in their post. <laughs> How come the leader gets to put all of our flights on their card? Well, and that's like... So the thing is, Lauren, like, to your to your too old point, like, people... They're, they're like you're saying, Ashlyn, they're always going to be really young and vulnerable because anybody who isn't young or vulnerable isn't going to stick around this place very long. Mm-hmm. And the ones who overstay their welcome are probably dangerous. Oh, very much so. Yes, exactly. If you stick around because you understand what's going on and like there's clear opportunities for predators here. Yeah. 
So that's my segment. Okay. So the cool. only good answer to the only good answer to why wham is because George Michael was an amazing songwriter. <laughs> I stole you stole the words right out of my mouth. And traveling anywhere for the sole purpose of evangelizing is bad. <laughs> Correct. Like, Very much. The idea of the today currently in this interconnected world with instant technology that 18 year olds that don't know anything are going to be able to convince and convert people that somehow haven't already heard this message like it's just mind-boggling just absolutely mind-boggling like sure there's people who haven't heard certain messages but like come on (laughs) come on anyway i just shake my head at it (laughs) indeed Well, thanks, Ashlyn. Next up, Lauren is going to be telling us all about a delightful gentleman named Billy Graham. Wow. Billy Graham was an asshole, you guys. (laughs) (laughs) You don't say. Are you calling me a liar? Wait, wait, what's the rule that doctors write if somebody's actually a jerk? <laughs> oh, yeah. So, so, so the trick is many doctors, when they're writing their notes, they will not, for medical legal purposes, write, this patient is not nice and I hate them. They will instead develop a practice of always writing, this delightful 79-year-old presents with... And then the moment you see a patient where they don't call them delightful or pleasant, or whatever, then you know that they really hate this person. Oh, I thought it was like an opposite thing. Oh, no, no, no. Yeah, me too. If they call them delightful, they're a horror show. (laughs) (laughs) What actually happened to me, I was actually asking my neighbor to water my allotment while we were gone for the week, and I was like, oh, hey, if you see my delightful neighbor, and she was like, oh, no, and I was like, no, no, I just wanted you to apologize that my cucumbers are all over her garden. <laughs> she really is delightful, but I guess the way that I said it sounded like I meant the opposite. <laughs> Hi, Betty. Hope you listen. <laughs> anyway, Billy Graham was an asshole that only the American evangelical movement could produce, and as we've seen in some of our other segments, has produced in quantity. He was also the kind of sanctimonious asshole who keeps believing that they're right. Well, I honestly don't know how he felt about himself in his heart of hearts, but that's sure how it came across. She said, I don't understand why you're so obsessed with being right. I go, I'm not obsessed with it. I just am. Want to hear a really well-peddled lie? Yes. Always. Okay. That Jesus was a real cool guy who believed in caring for everybody. (laughs) In reality, Jesus was an alpha male archetype. He continues to rain holy war on those who don't believe in him and damn you to hell if you're a beta cuck who engages in charity or has any help for your fellow humans on the earth. That is the grossest sentence I've ever heard you say, Lauren. (laughs) Jesus calling you a cuck. (laughs) Yeah, that is the Jesus that convinced Billy Graham to become a preacher anyway. In 1958, Graham said, I'm not believing in any in some effeminate character. 
I'm believing in a real He-Man, a real man who had a strong jaw and strong shoulders. Oh my god. (laughs) Just so (laughs) gross from the start. Yeah. Compared to bigger names like Falwell and Robertson, Graham has been less reviled. Don't get me wrong, Billy Graham was a known racist, he was a bigot, he was a homophobe, and a misogynist. His son Franklin, who took over his ministry, is a huge proponent of the birther believers that went on to become the core of the MAGA movement. However, Billy Graham was better at hiring the right people to smooth over his image in the public eye. Even doing research for this segment five years after his death, it's difficult, though obviously not impossible, to find information about Graham on the internet that isn't published by his ministry or associated groups. A lot of it's behind the the paywall, honestly. (laughs) I wasn't paying for anything. Billy Graham's Wikipedia page is carefully curated, of course, and it pushes his more reprehensible views to the bottom of an extensive biography. So let's take a quick look at his history, very abridged by me. Billy Graham was born November 7, 1918 in Charlotte, North Carolina. I've been there. Cute city. After graduating from high school in May 1936, Graham attended Bob Jones College. After one semester, he found that coursework and rules were too legalistic. He was almost expelled, but Bob Jones Sr. warned him to not throw his life away. Quote, at best, all you could amount to would be a poor country Baptist preacher somewhere out in the sticks. You have a voice that pulls. God can use that voice of yours. He can use it mightily. So like many things, we can blame Bob Jones for Billy Graham. Mm In 1937, Graham transferred to the Florida Bible Institute in Temple Terrace, Florida. While still a student, Graham preached his first sermon at a Baptist church near Palatka, Florida. In his autobiography, Graham wrote of receiving his calling on the 18th green of the Temple Terrace Golf and Country Club, which was adjacent to the Institute's campus. Gross. Okay. Go on. In 1943, June... Graham graduated from Wheaton College. That same year, Robert Van Campen, he was part of the National Gideon Association, so the Gideon Bibles, invited Graham to preach at Western Springs Baptist Church. While there, a pastor from Midwest Bible Church in Chicago told Graham that his radio program, Songs in the Night, was about to be canceled due to lack of funding. So this Tory Johnson had this program that was going to go away. Graham consulted with members of his church, and he decided to take over Johnson's program with the financial support from his congregation. More gross. He's taking okay. his money. He's going on the airwaves. Also, I think it's like, oh, you reached out to me to talk about a problem, and instead of me, like, supporting you, I'm just going to take the spoils. Like, Well, I, I actually I believe that this Tory Johnson was looking to get out of it. Oh, was, like, okay. offering it to him. I see. Graham had to buy it. Yeah. I see. Yeah. Okay. My mistake. No. It was unclear. So we're going to skip to 1948 in Modesto, California. Graham and his evangelical team established the Modesto Manifesto, which is really hard (laughs) to say, (laughs) but it's a code of ethics for life and work to protect against accusations of financial, sexual, and power abuse. So it's not to get rid of them. It's to protect against accusations. Right. The code includes rules for collecting offerings in churches, working with churches supportive of cooperative evangelism, and using official crowd estimates at events 
and is a commitment and a commitment now known as the Billy Graham rule, which I'll get to in a bit. <laughs> okay, so that's the start of his career. That was the rise of Billy Graham. Okay. With that out of the way, let's look at some of the points of his long career. The Crusades. So just before the Modesto Manifesto. So in wait, that was him? I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, not not like the like the Saladin. <laughs> the 20th Century Crusades. In 1947, so a year before the Modesto Manifesto, which is now fun to say, Graham, he began his crusade. His crusades were evangelistic campaigns conducted until 2005 by Graham, and I think they're continuing a little bit today. Billy Graham conducted 417 crusades in 185 countries in six continents. As the sessions became larger, he arranged a group of up to 5,000 people to sing in a choir. These things would go on for weeks. I think one, the longest one lasted like 14 weeks. He would preach like the gospel and invite people to come forward to ask Jesus to be their savior. And then they would all pray together and it would be televised or on the radio. So everybody around the world could watch these things. Sounds okay, boring, but go on. <laughs> yeah. These crusades caught the eye of William Randall Hearst, Hearst Media, and they la launched Graham's Evangelical Star because he was in all of the Hearst papers. Over 58 years, Graham reached more than 210 million people on face-to-face -face and on TV in over 185 countries. The longest Graham's evangelical crusade was, yeah, was 16 weeks. It was in Madison Square Garden in 1957. God. The largest audience assembled at Yoido Plaza in Seoul in South Korea in 1973. There was 1.1 million people in this square, this plaza. To be, to be there to listen to Billy Graham preach. Too many people, yeah. These meetings were called crusades and they were billed as such for decades. And Graham himself began calling them missions after the September 11 attacks. But why let unprovoked acts of naked aggression get in the way of a good crusade? Because the word crusade seemed a little, as we were mentioned earlier, a little pointed. Let's talk about Billy Graham and women. Hmm. Most We'll start with the Billy Graham rule that I mentioned before. It's better known these days as the Mike Pence rule. Right. So, oh, can't Billy be alone Graham, with a woman yeah. who's not his wife? That's it. They refuse to have any meetings or meals alone with women to crush any thoughts of impropriety. Billy Graham also believed that women were not equal to men. In 1970, Graham stated that feminism was, quote, an echo of our overall philosophy of permissiveness and that women did not want to be Competitive juggernauts pitted against male chauvinists. He further stated that the role of wife, mother, and homemaker was the destiny of, quote-unquote, real womanhood, according to the Judeo-Christian ethic. Which, a side note, literally has nothing to do with Judaism. It's entirely part of modern Christianity. You hear somebody say Judeo-Christian, just means Christian. Correct. And evangelical at that. Graham's assertions about women, published in the Ladies' Home Journal, elicited letters of protest, obviously, and they were offered as rebuttal in the establishment of the new feminism section of the publication. So that, yeah, Graham's daughter, Bunny, recounted her father denying her and her sister's higher education. Bunny remembers being groomed for the life of a wife, mother, and homemaker, saying, there was never an idea of a career for us. I wanted to go to nursery school. Wheaton had a five-year program, but daddy said no. No reason, no explanation, just no. It wasn't confrontational and he wasn't angry, but when he decided, it was the end of it. He has forgotten that. Mother has not. 
he has forgot like Billy Graham has forgotten that, but their mom didn't. Yep. yep. Billy Graham forgot that he said this to her, but her mother remembered. Did I know she says there that there was no explanation, but should she ever get an explanation? Like, was it an end times thing? Like, there's no point in you getting an education or just like you have to be a mom? Yeah, just wife and mother. That's it. No. And then you don't you don't fight with them. Obedience, remember? Yep. His wife, Ruth, who did stay with him until her death. They were married for over uh, almost 50 years, I believe. Graham talked her into abandoning her ambition to evangelize in Tibet in favor of staying in the States to marry him. And to do otherwise would to be to, quote, thwart God's obvious will. Mm. And then he cited the Bible for claiming authority over her, saying, I'll do the leading and you do the following. Why let a little leadership dispute get in the way of a good crusade? Yikes. All right. Yep. After women, let's talk about his anti-Semitism. Graham is Aww. on tape perpetuating anti-Semitic tropes, with Nixon, no less, and then later denying he said them. During Watergate, there were suggestions that Graham had expressed anti-Semitic opinions in private discussions with Nixon. He denied this, saying that his efforts to build bridges to the Jewish community. We don't see any of these bridges. In 2002, the controversy was renewed when declassified Nixon tapes confirmed that the m- remarks made by Graham to Nixon happened three decades earlier. So on these tapes, Graham agreed that, and this is uncomfortable to say, but Graham agreed with Nixon that Jewish people control the American media, calling it a stranglehold. And he suggested that if Nixon was reelected, they could do something about that. When these tapes were made public, Graham apologized and said, although I have no memory of the occasion, I deeply regret comments I apparently made in the Oval Office conversation with President Nixon they do not reflect my views, and I sincerely apologize for offense caused by the remarks. What? Sure. Yeah, I just said that. So didn't, I didn't mean them. Yeah. He didn't remember telling his daughter that she couldn't go to college, and he didn't remember disparaging the Jewish people. Any day now, that train's never late. Was this like quite a few years later? Like, is he yeah, this was sort of retconning his own views? Yeah, this was 2002, they came public, and this happened during Watergate, so 72, the mm. 30 years. Deny, 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 right? Like, just deny as long as people will let you deny. I have no recollection of the event in question. Well, but I wonder if he actually did become slightly more progressive in his views and forgot that he was ever quite that hateful. Like, that's my theory. A lot of people do do that. Yeah, yeah. That's true. Yeah, we have to give that, but there were more tapes that were released in 2009, though, in which Graham is heard in a 1973 conversation with Nixon again, referring to a group of Jewish journalists as the synagogue of Satan. God. Yeah. Like, it's one thing to say kind of what is in the popular discourse, especially as a member of the most privileged class, and then as that is no longer acceptable or moves out of favor or whatever, sort of forget that you're just speaking the way people speak and Mm -hmm. that. But it sounds like he was pretty pointed in these accusations. And that tends to, I mean, he, he, I'm not saying he didn't change his views. I have no idea. I'm just saying like, that's the kind of thing when you're like, those are pointed remarks that are, 
you would think that someone has thought a little bit more about them and it reflects mm -hmm. more of their true feelings. Yeah. You want to hear what his, the spokesman for Graham said? Uh, yeah. Trying to spin this. The spin person said that Graham has never been an anti-Semite and that the comparison was directed specifically at those claiming to be Jews and not holding to traditional Jewish values. What? Yikes. Yeah. That's okay. so bad. Yeah, that was in accord with, apparently the quotation was taken out of context and it was from the Book of Revelation or something. What? Okay. Was, yeah, mm -hmm. apparently he was quoting the Book of Revelation. What? Whatever. Yeah. Sure, dude. <laughs> if you gotta go to the to the revelation, you know the book of Revelation. Yeah, right. All right, let's move on to his anti-LGBTQI beliefs. Garrett Conley, who's the author of *Boy Erased*, which is a memoir in which he recounts his experience of conversion therapy, said that Graham's rhetoric was frequently employed in the liturgy he encountered, and were in the camp where he was told he could be cured of being gay. Quote Conley, I grew up hearing Graham's name referenced in almost every church service. When I was sent to conversion therapy, his evangelical fire was the model for our change. Mm. Though many saw Graham as a loving influence, his legacy has been harmful for queer individuals. Conley continues, don't take my word for it. Graham called homosexuality a sinister form of perversion, and he never appears to have changed his thoughts on the matter. Unshocking. Yeah, yeah. I've spoken to a couple of queer friends who say that their parents were big followers of Billy Graham and tuned into the Crusades and things. So from what they've said, this was pretty standard. Let's move on to Billy Graham's, his biggest claim to fame besides crusading around the world, his political influence. Because when you think Billy Graham, you think pastor to presidents. You think he, well, he met with every single president between Nixon and, well, he met Trump before, but between Nixon and Obama, he went to every single White House. Huh. He was apparently- And he had a million like, people come to, tell, come to hear him speak, like, well. Yeah. This guy was big. This guy, yeah. I mean, you think evangelical, you think Billy Graham. I mean, yeah. maybe that's fading now, but when I was young, he was the preacher on the radio. Apparently, Billy Graham was a lifelong member of the Democratic Party in the U.S., However, he threw all of his support behind right-wing candidates, yeah. starting with Nixon. He can't, well, he campaigned for Nixon against Kennedy because Kennedy was a Catholic and yeah. would, would obey the Pope instead of the American people. Hey, hey, why let fraternal excommunication get in the way of a good crusade? Right. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes, presidents famously obeying the American people these days. Yeah. <laughs> Historically speaking, Graham's most enduring legacy may be his aligning of evangelical Christianity with political influence and fear. Fear has always been an important part of evangelical Christian messaging in America. The end times, communism, or anxiety about the American way of life disappearing due to demographic and social changes. Where have we heard all of this before? Graham burst into the media in the, in the politicals in the 1950s because of his messages about communism and godlessness. A quote from 1952, he said, I believe today that the battle is between communism and Christianity. And I believe <laughs> oh the God. only way we're going to win that battle is for America to, to turn back to God and back to Christ and back to the Bible at this hour. We need a revival. Okay, sure. Yeah. Boy, oh boy. 
White evangelical support for former President Donald Trump in the 2020 election cycle came from a large part from his connection to leaders like Franklin Graham, who was Billy Graham's son, and Jerry Falwell Jr. We talked about him before, I believe. Both men, they were sons of their respective religious fathers. They followed and have made careers in promoting fear, faith, and political allegiance to Republicans, making evangelical basically the Republican Party. Today, of course, socialism is has replaced communism as the big buzzword and woke, all those things. These are the use, words used by evangelicals and politicians to combat policies and political leadership they oppose. So that's where his influence has led. Mm -hmm. Which brings me to my last point, which is his lasting influence. Graham died in 2018, and he passed his ministry to his son, Franklin, as I mentioned. He was, who is a noted birther and supporter of Trump. Franklin did claim that Billy Graham, Graham voted for Trump, but other family members swear that he was too infirm to cast a vote at all. So who knows? Mm-hmm. With continuing ministry and the fact that he started the presidential prayer breakfasts that happen every year, uh-huh. Graham's influence is still felt. Yeah, his influence is still felt across the United States and the Western world. His name is synonymous with political religion. Uh-huh. His belief in the prosperity gospel and a he-man cowboy Christ, like we mentioned off the top, mm-hmm. they're also current mainstays of the evangelical movement. Just this past month, I read some articles that modern evangelicals are starting to believe that the biblical version of Christ is too soft, and they want a harder, more vengeful, more Old Testament God to use as a cudgel against people they don't like. Oh my and God. I want my Christ to be rock hard. <laughs> yep. And pointing oh at Oh my everybody. God, that opens up so many very <laughs> strange avenues, Jeff. <laughs> my children, you should know something. I'm packing. That's so funny that Christianity, like this version of Christianity, which is all about the Christ character, is like, mm, no, this guy's actually not it. We want to go back to, like, old-timey, smite you, turn you to pillars of salt, God. Like, but they haven't even read their Old Testament. They just want a harder, more... They, they want a God that they can shape into their beliefs, not one that they have to shape themselves to the beliefs that, was apparently, that were apparently preached by these messiahs. But we miss vengeance. But then how can you how can you do that and then and simultaneously claim the absolute truth of the words in the Bible? They haven't read the Bible, Laura. But some of them have. <laughs> like that's the thing. There's so like the cognitive <laughs> dissonance is exhausting. Well, the cognitive dissonance in the Bible is exhausting too, but yeah, I I know where you're coming from. Like it doesn't make any sense. No, no, that doesn't, that doesn't make any sense at all. And I don't want to speculate on somebody's core spiritual beliefs or connections because it's, I can't, I'm not in anybody's head. Mm -hmm. Billy Graham's actions speak to someone who enjoys power and fame and control and not so much about like spiritual connection and, and a spiritual growth of a spiritual self. 
Well, that's a much better button on my segment than I wrote, so. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> so I appreciate that. Anytime, yeah, Lord. You're right. <laughs> yeah, you're right. He, it's another high control group. I mean, it's not as high control as YWAM. Right. Which is a literal cult, but this is what the tightening of this evangelical core has created. Well, exactly. And YWAM would not exist the way it does, likely without the likes of Billy Graham and millions and, and, and like millions of parents bringing up their kids this way and kids learning or looking for ways to continue in this quote unquote right way to be. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's disgusting and it's continuing. Ugh. Gross. Thanks, Lauren. On that cheery note, uh, why don't we move on to something nice? So who's got one this month? I feel like Laura has done the least talking. My something nice is that I finally finished my last assignment for my summer course. Yay. <laughs> it's nothing it was a good course but it was also a very busy course and i realized yesterday at about one in the morning as i was finishing up the the references section of the paper that i guess it was this morning at one in the morning <laughs> that i was even though i changed my work schedule and that to work part-time so that i won't be so burnt out with courses I effectively worked pretty much full-time and did a double course load over the summer. So that's why I'm so tired and it feels like a lot of stuff. And it was just hanging over my head and I finally got it submitted. So that just feels nice. So I get to enjoy and bask in the glory of the last two weeks of summer. Yay! I'll go. My something nice is that... We spent the last couple of days at my parents' place using my mom's two ovens and their very large yard to get a bunch of camp maintenance done on all of the vast amount of camping equipment we have. And I have become a cast iron seasoning pro and I made all of our many, many pounds of cast iron look really good and I'm very proud of myself and I'm looking <laughs> forward to cooking in the massive pan that is now clean. Yay! Nice. They did look so good. I, like, looking at your pictures, it's like, are those the same things? <laughs> yeah, There's before and after of those yeah. things. And it really doesn't take that much effort to get all that rust off. Yeah. And, like, people throw those things away because they look that bad. When Ashlyn says a large amount of cast iron. <laughs> iron! For those who, who haven't seen the picture on Facebook, think of, like, the amount you're thinking. Add two more pants. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you are generally feeding an army whenever you guys go camping, so Plus it we makes forgot sense. to bring one of our Dutch ovens out, so it's not even all of our cast iron. <laughs> yeah. But I did three regular size skillets, three small skillets, one like grill pan, one massive skillet, one Dutch oven with lid, and then like a whole bunch of little tools. Cool. Good for you. This isn't just for camping. These are things that Ashlyn uses for a community outreach project i think we've talked about it before the hey ashlyn what's for dinner where she just feeds people every week 
It's I've learned fun. that cooking in cast iron on the barbecue is very effective for large groups. Cooking in cast iron on the barbecue is also very effective when I don't clean the oven properly and we can't make the bake, the roasted beets that we wanted to make for a whole bunch of people. So it's best to do them on the barbecue. <laughs> so thank you, Ashlyn. What's your something nice, Lauren? I was also going to mention the two days that we spent working on projects and making everything proper and just sort of keeping up maintenance so things don't get bad. I like when we make time to do that. When mm -hmm. repairing and cleaning aren't, oh shit, someone's coming over or, oh crap, I need this next week. When it's something that we can do on a schedule. It makes my little clockwork brain happy that we actually make time to do that that's it that's, that's very nice uh, mm -hmm. also our, our kittens didn't tear the house down when we came back so they're all very mm. happy to see us that's mm. great jim for my something nice i was going to mention the television show the bear which is excellent but i feel like has been talked about by a large number of people so give it a watch if you like kitchen shows and Workplace drama, comedies, and like that. It's fun. But my real something nice is having had two weeks off with my family and having spent a good amount of time with Laura and the kids. We went camping. We went to a couple movies with the kids. We saw the, the Ninja Turtles movie as a family, and it's great. <laughs> Everybody enjoyed it. And yeah, it's just, it's been nice. It's been nice to be able to spend that time. Wonderful. Did you did you get your the trailer fixed or finished, Laura, before camping? Yeah, yeah, we did. It is. I got it finished a few days beforehand, and so it worked just fine. If you look at it, you can't really tell that I did much to it. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the kind of repairs that it was. And we have not yet had a... We haven't been out camping with a big rain, but we haven't seen it have any problems yet. So it should it should hold water for... Well, I'm hoping for the remaining time that we have it, so... Laura and her father rebuilt and then resealed, like, basically the entire roof of the camper. It was extremely impressive. Yeah, it's not Thank perfect. Yeah, thank you. I think you had yeah. done it as a something nice a couple like a couple Probably. months ago. Probably. So. Yeah, because I, I started it in, in May thinking, I'll have this done by early June. And we're like, <laughs> okay, we're leaving on July 29th, July 25th. This needs to happen now. <laughs> but it did. It did. So. Awesome. That's good. Yes, and shout out to my dad for his garage space and all of his tools and his expertise and working on it when I wasn't around because he <laughs> was just there to to give advice, but then was a wonderful, helpful dad. So <laughs> That's nice. My parents left us ribs in the freezer and went to the trailer, so that was also helpful. Ooh. <laughs> Big ridiculous nice. camping project is I've decided that I want to sew like a screened in porch for our giant pavilion oh nice we'll see if that happens <laughs> <laughs> would be quite the endeavor i imagine i calculated exactly how much mesh i would need so the first step is done this is good 
for you. <laughs> thank you for joining us this evening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you. It's been fun. I hope you hope. came away enlightened about evangelicals and <laughs> I don't have an and. Hopeful? There's no reason to be hopeful. <laughs> <laughs> See you next month with a happier topic, maybe. Here's hoping. <laughs> there is always hope. Well, good night, night everybody. Good night. Show notes and references for all of our episodes are available at lueepodcast.com, where you can also find links to donate or get in touch. If you'd like to support the show, the best way to do that is with a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you found us, or by sharing this episode with a friend.